happy anniversary, pod people. This is Historical AF. My name is Natalie. And I'm Kina. We are a historian and a librarian bringing you some fun, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Yep, and here comes Anniversaries Part 2, and it's episode 54. Wow. Blows my mind. So one year and 54 episodes later, not much has changed. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not not a lot. been a wild ride it's been really fun i guess time flies when you're having fun and i liked i like this episode this category granted we talked about it last time of liking all of our stuff like i have not had anything i haven't liked but it's true <laughs> surprise i like looking at random shit anniversaries that's fun it's cool yeah it was a lot more fun than i was expecting i mean i expected to be cool but i was like oh man because i found a website that was like everything that's an anniversary for 2020 and i was like whoa <laughs> it's a lot of stuff so <laughs> like one is like the end of world war ii it's like oh man oh that's okay. significant thank you yeah <laughs> a lot of them are really depressing so i was like oh man okay that's great but at the end it was like here's some lighter shit and it was like the invention of the band-aid i'm like okay i All guess right. that's not murder so cool <laughs> You use a band-aid when um, murder is attempted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a plaster if you're in Europe. Ooh. I learned that the so bad. When I was 15, my mom uh, trained for a marathon for the Arthritis Foundation. And if you raise enough money, you got to go to Dublin, Ireland, and then do the marathon and blah, blah, blah. So at that point, my grandpa had died of arthritis. So we were like, we're going to raise money and go. So we go. My mom... I guess didn't break in her shoes well enough and she did the marathon but by the end of it she had a enormous blister like we're talking like that big it was gross ooh, and ooh. Uh, so I no. had to go to- <laughs> <laughs> uh, see if you're Patreon you get the video so you can see how big it was but uh, I had to go to all these pharmacies and be like I need some sort of like band-aid type situation and they're like we don't know what you're talking about and that's how i learned it's called a plaster and they had like a liquid skin thing i forgot what they called it but i was like this is not what we call it back home but all right so granted do we call it a band-aid because it's a brand i think so yeah okay and i was like it's a, it's is the brand that's i think it's the only reason why we actually call it what it is yeah i think that's most of the stuff it's just brand stuff yeah i learned like a, a line is a cue and an elevator's a lift mm-hmm I can't remember anything else. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> it was like 15. I was like, I want to be Irish now. This is way cooler than Arkansas. Such a pretentious little kid, but it's fine. <laughs> I was like, you can just leave me here. I don't need to go back. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt in France, too. I was like, let's just stay. Like, just the culture. Mm-hmm. Although I've always been one of those people that I never felt like I belonged in a tiny town. I was like, I need to go somewhere big. Yeah, I've always wanted to go move to a city, move somewhere. And I, I still want to move to a bigger city, like maybe Chicago or New York or something. That is Chicago. still in the plans of someday moving to one of those locations. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one of those. It's a, a historical bigger city. Like, that's really mm-hmm. what my goal is. 
New York would be really cool. Like the culture just alone, like the mm-hmm. theater and the art and just, oh my God. So cool. I know it is, it is the melting pot. Cause really when I went to New York city, like just to ride the subway and you hear all the different languages and accents and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is, it's like, if you want people watch, check out a big city like that. It's just, it's so nice. And there's nothing like a New Yorker though. Cause like they've been through some shit. Like 9-11 and now everything that's happening right now with COVID-19. Like, the amount of selflessness and how everybody sticks together and, like, takes care of each other. Like, you just don't find that everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like, the rent guy that, I think it was in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He, he has 80 tenants and he waived their rent for, I don't know, just for this month or what. But he let him be have a month off at least of rent. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I would not imagine my place doing that at all. Oh, no. But yeah, New York's getting hit super hard, and so is Jersey, because I know a lot of people commute. So just all our all our love to you guys. But yeah, you guys are like a badass breed of Americans. I would love to live there. <laughs> Although I love San Antonio and Austin. It's huge, and I just I love being close to big cities now. There's more to do. And like I said, like theater, Broadway museums it's all i've ever wanted i'm just geeking out but now i can't go anywhere (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (sighs) so we want to just jump right into this yep i'm going to just say let's go ahead and do more but let's get it done let's get it out there (laughs) i think this might be the first time where my like sidebars are more depressing than the actual story (laughs) god damn (laughs) I was really impressed with myself how I pulled this one off, but here we go. So, 2,500 years ago, the Battle of Thermopylae happened. So, this is Sparta! (laughs) Kick somebody off the cliff. So, August or September 480 BCE is when this happened. That's just a ridiculous amount of time away. My brain doesn't comprehend that much old. Few battles have changed history, but the Battle of Thermopylae stands out as an exception. So in early 480 BCE, the Persian emperor Xerxes set out to avenge his father's loss at the Battle of Marathon 10 years earlier and to subdue the Greek city-states. The Greeks marched to Thermopylae about 120 miles northwest of Athens to meet the far larger Persian army. So contrary to some myths about Thermopylae, Leonidas I and his 300 Spartan warriors, you know, the movie 300, were actually accompanied by other Greeks. United in their desire to keep the Persian king Xerxes out of Greece, the size of the forces was estimated to be around 3,000 to 7,000. So it's about 2,700 more soldiers than ever get credit. I'd hate to be that person. Like, God damn it, I was there. I died. You don't even care. I'm not Spartan. <laughs> Yep. I'm sure they all have the southern accent too. <sighs> um, <laughs> and then the historian Herodotus claimed that the Persian army numbered in the millions, but it's more likely that there was actually 70,000 to 300,000 in the military force. So it's believed now that he was exaggerating. Shocking. Here's the first morbid, sad part. 
Uh, what few people mention is the fact that the 300 Spartans were accompanied by 900 helots or helots. It either uh, there's two different kinds of people. One that says one, one says the other. And I've had professors that are like, "You say this," and then the other one's like, "You say this," and they're like, "The other one's wrong." So I'll just say both. <laughs> <laughs> but in other words, they're slaves. And <laughs> the the movie forgot that part. But the darkest aspect of the Spartan success was that they. It was enabled by the dehumanization, subjugation, and enslavement of an entire race of people, the Helots, and it's a population of Greeks who lived in Messenia. Messenia? Uh, the Helots were, in effect, agricultural slaves. The Spartans used them to work the land and provide food for the Spartan state. The Helots also recruited to fight for the Spartans when they needed them. However, there was a constant fear that the Helots might actually raise up against the Spartans because they actually outnumbered them. And because of that, the Spartans ritually waged war on them. And one of the ways this ritual war manifested itself is through a thing called Cryptia. And it was a sort of a Spartan secret police. And then they were sent out to literally hunt and kill the strongest and most descendant of the helots. So it's like the freaking Hunger Games. Like, they knew that they outnumbered them. So they would send them out every year to kill the strongest of them to keep everybody scared and you know, keep them in their place. So that's really fucking depressing. So let's move on to a mass slaughter, shall we? <laughs> so the terrain favored the Greeks. The pass at Thermopylae was narrow with the Aegean Sea on one side and steep hills on the other. They expected that this narrow pass would funnel the Persian army towards their force. And then at this point, Xerxes called on the Greeks to surrender. The first four days pretty much consisted of the Persian army sitting around waiting for the Greeks to you know, stop playing and surrender. But that didn't happen because Spartans didn't surrender. The Spartan leader was King Leonidas. Leonidas? Yeah, Leonidas. <laughs> <laughs> and fun fact, his name literally translates to son of the lion. So, safe to say his dad had kind of an ego. <laughs> he was also the 17th king in the line of the Aegean kings. And this dynasty claimed to be descended from the Greek hero Hercules. That's cool. Yeah. I love Hercules. It's one of my favorite stories. Hercules, Hercules. Me too. <laughs> I am living for the TikToks where people dress up like the, the Vaz ladies and do the song for the movie. Oh, yes. I saw some really good oh, ones. They're so good. Anyway, another fun fact is that at this time, he was 60 years old. He was no Gerard. Yeah, the Gerard Butler character was actually 60 years old at this time. So we've seen the movie. Well, he looks really good for 60. He does. <laughs> oh, he's a pretty man. <laughs> Anywho, Leonidas of Sparta invited the Persian army to the Malone Labe or to come and get them, which is one of the things the movie directly quoted. So that wasn't just like a fun movie thing. Come and get me. That actually happened. <laughs> After two days of bitter fighting, a local shepherd showed the Persians a route behind the Greek lines, outflanked many of the Greeks withdrew. So, sidebar, Leonidas famously sent away most of his allies when the Persians actually encircled them at Thermopylae. And one accepted theory is that he was trying to save as many Greek soldiers as he could because he knew it was an inevitable massacre. So, he meanwhile would form you know, the 300 and then fight to their death because he knew they were going to die. 
Another theory is that he simply wanted the Spartans to have the glory of fighting to the death. So he sent away everybody that was not Spartan so that he could have that moment. So nobody knows really what happened. But out of the thousands of people that were there, the Greeks, the Spartans were the ones that stayed. So 300 minus two because two ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Minus two is important. Yeah. For two days, the Greeks withstood attacks of their far more numerous enemy. Leonidas' plan worked well at first, but he didn't know that there was route over the mountains to the west of Thermopylae that would allow them to, you know, go through the pass. So a local Greek told Xerxes, I already wrote that. Shit, Kina. God <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that twice. Such a... Anyhow, so they had that pass. They got there. And then Leonidas and 300 Spartans, minus two, because they ran away, were all killed. And the Persians found and beheaded Leonidas' corpse before crucifying the body, which just sounds horrifying. So they just desecrated it in the most horrific way they possibly could. Interestingly, his death was actually predicted by the Oracle of Delphi. If the historians can be believed, when word came that King Xerxes' massive military force was setting out for Greece, the Spartans consulted the Oracle to figure out what to do. And the Oracle warned them that either the Spartans are going to mourn their dead king or the city would be ravaged by the Persians. So assuming that they believed this Oracle, which they probably did because they really believe that kind of thing, then he must have known that he wasn't coming back alive and that he marched anyway. So that's kind of badass. Leonidas' sacrifice along with that of his Spartan hoplites did not prevent the Persians from moving down the Greek coast into Bo... Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Boshia? Sorry. In September of 480 BC, however, the Athenian navy defeated the Persians at the Battle of Salamis. After that, which the Persians returned home. Nonetheless, his actions demonstrated Spartans' willingness to sacrifice itself for the protection of the Greek region. So, he achieved lasting fame for his personal sacrifice. There was actual hero cults that were established in ancient Greece because of him. Dead heroes were worshipped and usually near their burial site. They created like temples to them. Forty years after the battle, Spartan retrieved Leonidas' remains, or what they believe are his remains, and then they enshrined them and then built the temple in his honor. So their stand became legendary, and it's lots of movies. We've all seen the, this is Sparta. You know, <laughs> we all know that. So it shows Xerxes' progress in setting the stage for Persia's defeat at the Battle of Salamis. The Greek city-state survived, and with them became what would be today Western civilization. So what does a dude screaming this is Sparta actually have to do with paving the way for American democracy? Let me tell you. Please do. (laughs) The Battle of Thermopylae was technically a defeat for the Greek coalition. It marked (laughs) the beginning of several important Greek victories against the Persians that represented a morale shift among the Greeks. Even though almost all the 300 Spartans, because two ran away, had died, they had fought vigorously and valiantly, refusing to submit to the Persians. They encouraged Spartan actions and the other surviving freaks. Freaks. (laughs) Did you say freaks? I did. Greeks are not freaks. (laughs) That's so rude. Greeks fought with greater dynamism against the Persians. So although the Greeks finally beat the Persian in the Battle of Plataea in 479 BCE, 
they ended the Greco-Persian Wars. Many scholars actually attribute the eventual Greek success over the Persians because of the Spartans' defense of Thermopylae. Had the Spartans and the Greek allies, allies, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Allies <laughs> fled in fear. It's likely that the Persian victory would have promoted imperialism over protection, coercion over free will, and authoritarianism over freedom. In fact, the Greeks might have even changed their understanding of the key virtues of freedom since they would have been treated like slaves. Instead of learning about freedom, the Greeks would discover authoritarianism where the kings will triumph the desires of anybody else. In his book, Thermopylae, Cartledge, uh, an author references the contrasting language of Herodotus uses to describe the Greeks and Persians. Quote, since Spartan, since ugh, so many S's. Since Spartan's system stood for freedom. Ooh, Jesus Christ. Okay. I need anyone, if you're at home, I hope so, because I mean the thing. But if you're at home drinking safe or whatever, if you are in the mood for drinking, please take hmm, two, maybe three shots and then try to say that really fast. It's hard. And Kina, on our next drunk, drunk drive, drunk dive, drunk dive. Um, I might ask you to say that sentence at the end of the thing. Okay. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Since Spartan's system stood for freedom, it follows that the great king stood for slavery. If the (laughs) Persians had won, the Greeks would have been like, just grew up to accept that they had formally defined as slavery as freedom. The ideals that motivated the Spartans to fight against the Persians at Thermopylae would have died under the Persians. So Americans can thank Greeks and especially the Spartans for things they love and sometimes take it for granted, like the Constitution and Costco and capitalism. Had the Spartans not stood up, there may not have been enough freedom-loving Greeks left to defend against the Persians. Because this is way before, like, oh, what's his name? Fuck. I just forgot his name. He was the smart guy in Greece. I swear (laughs) I'm smart. (laughs) Uh, Greek philosopher. What's his name? Aristotle, it just popped in my hand. (laughs) 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 Oh man, this all happened right before Aristotle was even born. So by the time he came around being like, ooh, democracy is a thing, if Spartans had lost and this whole thing didn't happen, then they would have been enslaved and there probably wouldn't be enough people left behind to be like, hey, we should be democratic. It's like a domino effect. Mm -hmm. So sad, like these 300. 298 people, two ran away. Uh, if they hadn't died, then we might not have democracy. And if we don't have democracy, then we don't have the United States. So anyway, some more fun facts about Sparta. The first female Olympic victor was Spartan. Her name was Siniska, and she won both times for four horse chariot races. That's cool. I know. Helena Troy was actually Helen of Sparta. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Hmm. Sparta was a hub of music and poetry in the archaic period. My mind's a little blown. I'm like, what? No, I didn't go into detail in case we do an episode where we can go into detail because there was just so much. Oh, I think we will. That's kind of yeah, they're so interesting. The Spartan mercenaries fought for the last Egyptian pharaoh. And okay. then Sparta was actually a tourist destination for the Roman Empire. And those were your feel good facts. They're going to get really dark now. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> That's why I'm like, these little side things are the worst. 
Spartans had to prove their fitness even as infants. How do you... So infanticide, which is the killing of babies, was disturbingly common in the ancient world. But in Sparta, this practice was organized and managed by the state. All Spartan infants were brought before a council of inspectors and examined for physical defects, and those who weren't up to standards were left to die. The ancient historian Plutarch claims that the, quote, ill-born Spartan babies were tossed into the chasm at the foot of Mount Tigetus. But most historians now dismiss this as a myth. If a Spartan baby was judged to be unfit for future duties as a soldier, it was likely abandoned at a nearby hillside. Left alone, the child would either die of exposure or be rescued and adopted by strangers. This is some dark shit. It's kind of sad. (laughs) It's so sad because even if you're a baby and you have something wrong, like you usually grow out of most of it. I was about to say, like, I had arthritis as a baby, but I grew out of it. But then I got new arthritis, so that's not a good example. But <laughs> I was like, way to go. Like, oh, and then we're back now. <laughs> totally different arthritis. But, like, that's just so sad. Kids grow out of things. All right. Spartan children were placed in military-style education programs. At the age of seven, Spartan boys were removed from their <laughs> homes and began the goge. Goge? I took this class in college and I still don't remember. Anyway, it's a state-sponsored training regimen designed to mold them into skilled warriors and moral citizens. They were separated from their families and housed in communal barracks. Young soldiers-in-waiting were instructed in scholastics, warfare, stealth, hunting, and athletics. At the age of 12, initiates were deprived of all clothing save for a red cloak and forced to sleep outside to make their own beds from reeds to ready them for a life in the field. The boys' soldiers were also encouraged to scavenge and even steal their food, though if detected, they were punished by flogging. <laughs> so sad. This sounds so cheerful. I love it. Oh. Hazing and fighting were encouraged among the Spartan children to toughen them up. I'm not surprised by that one. I've, I've heard that fact before. Just... Yeah. All Spartan men were expected to be lifelong soldiers. Male citizens were legally prevented from choosing any occupation other than the military. This commitment could last for decades as warriors were required to serve for the age of 60. It makes me think of the 300. You said he was 60. And he's like, it's just like that classic. He's one year from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 60, but especially I can't imagine they lived to 60 very often. Oh, I doubt it. That's probably why they said 60. They're like, it's impossible. <laughs> like, no one lives to 60. Yeah. Spartan youths were ritualistically beaten and flogged. One of the Spartans' most brutal practices, why can't I talk today? Brutal practices involved a so called contest of endurance in which adolescents were flogged, sometimes to the death, in front of an altar at a sanctuary of Artemis, known as the Diamatigosis. Worms are hard. This annual practice was originally used as both a religious ritual and a test of the boy's bravery and resistance to pain. It later devolved into an outright blood sport after Sparta went into decline in the fall of the Roman Empire. By the 3rd century AD, it was even an amphitheater constructed so that tourists could cheer on the grisly ordeal. They just rip each other to shreds. That's really just... 
That's going to be a big no for me. Yeah, that's like a hard pass. Yeah, I just, no. No, 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 no. Food was intentionally kept scarce, and the poor fitness was caused for ridicule. So, when a Spartan man completed the main phase of the Agoge at the age of 21, he was elected to the Sicilia, a military-style mess where citizens gathered for, gathered for public meals. To prepare soldiers for the strain of war and discourage poor fitness, the rations doled out at these communal dining halls were always bland, and then slightly insufficient. So, in other words, they weren't given shit for food. Spartans were renowned for their devotion to physical fitness and proper diet, and they reserved a special loathing for overweight citizens who were publicly ridiculed, and they were risked to be banished from the city-states. So, just another way that wouldn't make it. I would be kicked out. But, I mean, they're beating each other to death, so it might be okay. I mean, like, all right, bye, fuckers. I kept wandering around in the desert, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Wine was a staple of the Spartan diet, but they rarely drank to excess and often cautioned their children against drunkenness. In some cases, they would force their slaves to wildly get inebriated as a way of showing young Spartans the negative effects of alcohol. This This is all bad. Spartan men were not allowed to live with their wives until the age of 30. Spartan society didn't discourage romantic love, but marriage and childbearing were both subject to some peculiar cultural and governmental constraints. The state council that mentioned marry at the age of 30 and women had to be 20. Sound a little double standard there. Since all men were required to live in the military barracks until 30, couples who married earlier were forced to live separately until the husband completed his duty in the military service. The Spartans saw marriage as just a means for conceiving new soldiers. And citizens were encouraged to consider the health and fitness of their mate before tying the knot. In fact, husbands who were unable to have children were expected to seek out a (laughs) substitute to impregnate their wives. (laughs) So stupid (laughs) likewise bachelors were seen as neglecting their duty and were often publicly mocked and humiliated if they weren't able to uh, have kids that's just mean (sighs) I'm sure they're getting like kicked in the balls all the time like training and then they're like oh I can't why am I shooting blanks well maybe you shouldn't be in a rigorous military institution your whole life well, what if it's the woman who can't have a child either? It is interesting that the blame is on the men here because mostly it's always on us. Yeah. It's a two-way street, y'all. It's a two-way street. Uh, and then finally, surrender in battle was the ultimate disgrace. Spartan soldiers were expected to fight without fear and to the last man. Surrender was viewed as the epitome of cowardice, and warriors who voluntarily laid down their arms were so shamed that they often resorted to suicide. According to ancient historian Herodotus, two Spartan soldiers who missed out on the famous Battle of Thermopylae returned to their home disgraced. One later hanged himself, and the other was only redeemed after he died fighting in a later engagement. So, the two people that ran away, things did not work out well for them. They both died. Oh, you had Spartan mothers. Yeah, yay. <laughs> Rainbows and butterflies over here. Even Spartan mothers were known for their do or die approach to the military campaign. Spartan women are said to have sent their sons off to war with a chilling reminder quote, return with your shield or on it. 
That is just a... Although motherhood is like a construct that's actually fairly modern. So I guess I can kind of understand like you lose so many children in those days. You probably don't get attached, but it still seems kind of cold. Well, and I think it also, I mean, it is cold, but you have to think of just the civilization too. Like they are bred for war. Like that is a lot of their livelihood and their, just their life really. Either for going to battle or preparing to go to battle Spartan Trooper died in battle. He was viewed as completing his duty as a citizen. In fact, the law mandated that only two classes of people could have their names inscribed on their tombstones. Women who died in childbirth and the men who died in combat. So the only people that proved their, like, duties is women that died giving birth and men that died in war. What's this? Okay. (laughs) But, I mean, what about the women that gave birth to, like... Soldiers that won shit. Why do they gotta die? The whole thing bummed me out. Uh, so this is Sparta. Is suppressing his shit. You're welcome. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> it's not as much like. I mean, it's a lot of death, but it's not as. It's it was the children's stuff, like yeah, and the lack of choice. Like mm-hmm. you have to be a soldier. You don't have a choice. And and then the women are breeders. And, and I don't know whatever responsibilities they probably have, but I still don't want that pressure of just creating more soldiers for you. So you don't, so my husband does not become a laughing stock. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I remember taking a class. It's been a long time when we <laughs> Spartans, but like the women were held to a very high standard too of like fitness and warriorness. Mm-hmm. I mean, since the first woman to ever win the Olympics was from Sparta, so I'm assuming there was more to just being a baby maker, but that was your number one priority, I'm sure. But uh, I need to rewatch 300 because I need to criticize how it's historically accurate. <laughs> I guess that could be our drunk. Be. I haven't seen it in, since it came out. I don't remember any of it. So I say I only remember a couple pieces. I remember when it came out. It's like the record of longest sex scene. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's so much more with like the Spartans that it could be its own episode. Honestly, like Spartans really- and mm-hmm. stuff. So, I mean, that'd be that's why I try to keep a lot of it vague. But a lot of stuff I didn't know. I didn't know that there were so many more than the 300. I didn't know it was in the thousands. But it kind of makes sense now. Like when you hear that they have to die, they can't come home defeated. It's probably why they all just kind of. Yeah, we do this, we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> uh, so, what do you got? Historical? I do. I have historical. Let me pull it up. It is a list. Of course, because I, unlike Kina, who finds a topic and just runs with it <laughs> until it's good and varied, I can't, I, I pick 20 things. I just can't. <laughs> so, it's whatever. I mean, it's like 20 websites I used to make one thing, so it's probably worse. Like, I, the ADD is real. It takes me too long. <laughs> Okay, that's all right. 
I just hope people like our two different styles because these get a little everything, folks. Yeah. And so this time I have historical and I have picked more festivals. So more anniversaries that are celebrated in different towns. But these are the oldest ones that are still still celebrated today. Oh, cool. And here we go. So number one is Nevers or Nevers, considered one of the oldest festivals is it's enjoyed by many communities under different names. It date back. It dates back almost five thousand years. Holy shit, that's old. Mm-hmm. That's like pyramid old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, it's celebrated among the Turkish people to signify the leaving of their people from a place. Agnikon. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds good. In- it's E-G-E-N-E-K-O-N. So it's a lot of E's, and I don't know what is an E sound, A sound, or it. I don't know. Please forgive if, us. <laughs> if, you speak, if you speak Turkish, please. I am totally okay with any corrections or saying, like, do a little recording. I'm totally fine with that. Don't find it offensive at all. It's appreciated. Yeah. So more words will be mispronounced. So feel free to just make a list and then tell me later. A few societies even believe that this is the day when Noah set foot on Earth after the big flood. Oh, cool. And a few communities believe that this is the day the first man was created. Like, so either Noah first touched land or it was the day man created God. Oh, wow. And some believe that this is the harbinger of spring. Well, that's cool. So no matter what kind of direction your belief is, this celebration, though, has been happening for 5,000 years. That's and that just blows my mind. That's so old. It's like and, it's so hard to comprehend something. Like that. <laughs> and the fact that it's still a tradition, like it's still done all the time. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. The word nevrus literally means a new day in Persian language. And it's usually not a cleaning Usually a lot of cleaning and decorating of houses is done, and this day is along with the huge feast of the occasion. People get together and visit with each other and enjoy playing games and make wishes for dreams to come true by jumping over a big fire. Oh. I thought that was kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Next up is the Sterling Renaissance Festival. Ooh, that sounds fun. It is very medieval. Uh, this is considered a festival that ranks among the oldest ones. It's usually celebrated in the first weekend of July at Warwick in Orange County, actually. <laughs> it dates back to 1585. Oh, wow. This festival brings together many performers, including comedians, musicians, and actors, people who want to showcase their unique abilities and goods, find this a good occasion to do so. And, of course, part of the festivities is, I see, jousting and rides and games. And it's just a really cool, it's just like a basically like a souped up renaissance fair. That's, I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to go to one. I do. I <laughs> it do. seems Tr- like so much fun. <laughs> oh, I hate it. The library, we were supposed to host a renaissance fair this summer. Oh, man. Because this summer's theme is fairy tales. That's so cool. So I hope we'll still get to do it. Man. Very disappointed. (laughs) That's a good that's a good theme. (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. So, so next, number three is the Oi Matsuri. It's considered among the oldest, again, across the globe. And this festival occasion is known to have originated from the 6th century. It actually started as a means to keep the Kamo gods who are responsible for the weather happy. So I think that's kind of cool. Like it's that is really cool. This started after a succession of many storms made life tough for people by spreading diseases and causing starvation. So it takes place at Shimigamo Shrine on the 3rd of May with a show of Japanese archery. This festival is marked by parades of people dressed up in costumes from the Hain period. Not sure. H E I A N period. Sure. And, huh? So, sure. That sounds great. Perfect. Ish. <laughs> uh, it's punctuated with song and dance, and this procession proceeds to the sacred forest to welcome the god Aram Tama. Aramitama. There we go. I left out the eye. To take part in the festivities, the celebrations last for almost a fortnight, which many, with many events all throughout it. And it's really cool. They're all in like kimonos and what you sort of like samurai kind of looks to their costumes. Just a really cool. And I like the archery thing. I'd like to see how good people keep up with their archery skills. That's so cool. So I feel like Audrey needs to become like our correspondent. So she needs to go to this and then she needs to go to the penis festival and report back. (laughs) (laughs) We need a full reenactment of everything that she has seen. And then we also need pictures. Egyptian harvest festival. Ooh. This. Yep. I'm like, Ooh, Egyptian. So dating back to the 13th century, this festival is to honor the Moroccan Sufi who battled the Crusaders in the 13th century. Millions of people thronged the tomb Ali al-Badawi. Badawi? I don't know. Like I said, these are so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anyways, so they raided this tomb basically to, to pray and pay for their homage. The festival has many attractions like snake charmers and fire eaters. And it's a mixture of religious festivities along with fun elements. Uh, the occasion is used to get children blessed at the tomb. Oh, cool. And, and there's all kinds of dancing and religious chants. So it's just a really cool thing. It, it happens in October. Oh, that sounds really nice. <laughs> uh, number five is a vegetarian festival. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but this is also... It's just weird, too. Like, there's a picture on here that grosses me out. It's very hard to look at. Uh, This festival is celebrated by the Chinese community in Phuket. This festival marks the beginning of of a month during which the people are following the Taoist religion. Mm -hmm. Abstain from eating meat during the duration. So it's basically a fasting of meat. Like, you just don't eat meat for the month. Yeah. The festival starts with parades and offerings to gods and many cultural presentations. It's usually focused on the five Chinese temples. People walk on burning coals. They pierce their skin with sharp objects. So in the picture, it's a man sticking a basically like a thin sword through his tongue. Oh, no. 
Um, yeah, and it's supposed to be like self-punishment. And some participants go into a trance and act as a medium for the divine emperor gods of Taoist faith. faith yeah. Taking place in the ninth month of the Chinese calendar. And it lasts up for nine days. Ooh. Wow. Uh, Diwali is falling in the month of October or November. kind of hits in between them. This festival literally means the Festival of Lights. Oh, cool. I think I've heard of this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I've heard of it. At the it. library, we have a little board book that actually talks about it. It's a cute little baby book with pictures of people celebrating it. Aww. <laughs> According to legends, this festival marks the return of God Rama after the slaying of the demon Ravana on his return to residence of his kingdom, uh, the kingdom lit lamps, decorated their homes, and wore new clothes. And they burst out the firecrackers, and uh, there was all kinds of sweets. Even today, Indians celebrate the occasion of Diwali with lights, sweets, and firecrackers. The general atmosphere is of joy and color. Old enemies are forgiven, and everyone is welcome home with a smile and a sweet. This occasion is also marked by the pujas to appropriate goddess Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess who represents wealth. Cool. I'll do one more. There's several of these, so I'm like, I'll, I'll do one more. And then mm-hmm. definitely the link will be on our website and hope you give it a Google because it's really cool. This last one is the Dragon Boat Festival. Unusually occurring on the fifth day of the fifth month on the lunar calendar, the festival dates almost 2,000 years ago. The main event is a dragon boat race. So think of like Chinese dragons on as a boat and just all these people doing long boats and they're rowing. And it's just really cool. Very colorful. That sounds really cool. Uh, the oars are pulled in tandem and it's like just a memorable event to watch. A food is called zonji, is a part of the festival. Usually these are rice dumplings wrapped in leaves with fillings of like meat, eggs, bean paste, and other fillings. Children are dressed with a perfumed pouch for protection against evil by their parents. Oh, I didn't know <laughs> that. That's, wow. It's just really cool. And there's the Cherry Blossom Festival. That's another one that's lasted a long time. I've heard of that one, too. I think Audrey went to that one. Is that the one she mm-hmm. said she went to? No. But Japan really is, like, coming in coming in hot with the cool festivals. It is. Granted, it's to me, it's one of the oldest. Like, when I think of really old history, I think of England and... We're in, I know there's ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, so like let's move that aside because I mean, <laughs> no. But when I think of like a like a pretty civilized culture, and just immediately think back, I think of like the Great Wall of China and mm-hmm. um, all kinds of stuff in Japan, and of course England and Ireland. They have all their castles. I do not think of us. This is the last place I think of. <laughs> all right. Well, let's round this out with my funny that's not really funny god damn kina <laughs> but it's, funny. <laughs> it's actually just like a compilation of feel-good things 
So it's not like funny haha, but it's just kind of some funny. Okay. Uh, some feel good news. I will accept that. Okay. Like, that's why I put morbid in the beginning. God damn it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's fine. So it's a bunch of news articles. So the first one is husband celebrates 67th wedding anniversary outside his wife's nursing home to protect her from the coronavirus. Oh, I've seen some of those. Oh, like, these are all so sweet. Outside of their partner's windows. I'm like, that's so nice. Yeah. So Connecticut residents Bob and Nancy Shellard have been married 67 years. High five, old people. Because that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this year with the coronavirus spread concerns, the longtime couple had to celebrate their anniversary in a unique way. Nancy is in a nursing home in Somers and had restricted visitors due to safety concerns over COVID-19 spread. According to the CDC, individuals over the age of 60 are at most risk and the most highly contagious. So the Shellard 67th anniversary was on Saturday, but instead of spending the momentous day apart, 90-year-old Bob celebrated outside the nursing home with handmade signs and balloons. It's so cute. <laughs> so there's pictures and he has a sign that says, I've loved you 60 or 67 years and I still do. And he has a bunch of balloons, different colors. And there's like flower balloons. And he has one of those walkers that has like the chair in it, you know, <laughs> he's just hanging out. He's just adorable. So Nancy waved from the second floor window and blew him kisses. And then a nurse was relaying messages between the two. Their family says that Nancy felt like a queen. Bob was delighted. Submission accomplished. It's really cute. It made my heart. Made my heart warm. So the next one is a New York man recites his wedding vows to his wife through her window for their 50th anniversary. (laughs) All these made me so sad and so happy. So in Warsaw, New York, Paul Brown's wife has been undergoing therapy at a Wyoming uh, County Community Health System for the past few weeks. Since confirmed cases of the coronavirus were first confirmed in the western New York, Brown wasn't able to visit his wife. He told two on your side that the interactions have been limited to FaceTime. So Brown figured that he would have to do the same for their 50th wedding anniversary on Saturday. That's where the nursing home and the Warsaw Fire Department stepped in to create a more memorable but still socially distant memory for the couple. The fire chief brought the company ladder truck and lifted Paul up to his wife's second story window. And then he recited their wedding vows to her through the window from the little the lift from the fire truck. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. He wore a black suit and Judy and Judy, that's her name, donned a veil. Just like she did on their wedding day. I love old people. They're so cute. (laughs) Quote, you know, we're still young, at least still young at heart, both of us or whatever else. So it's just exciting for us. (laughs) Family and friends were watching from the ground and Paul even sealed his words with a kiss. Paul said it wasn't how he anticipated spending his anniversary with his wife, but he's still glad that he could do a little something to make it special. Ugh. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. Oh my gosh, Keenan, you cry. 
Okay, this one I thought was adorable because it says Dublin couple celebrate 65th wedding anniversary in style while cocooning. They're calling isolation cocooning, and I think that's a thing that should happen here too. I just wonder how many fat butterflies are gonna uncocoon. <laughs> Absolutely. Amory and I will be happily a couple of roly poly. Us too. After this. A Dublin couple has been cocooning for several weeks, and they celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary in style. Jack and May Healy, both 94 years old and living in Monkstown, were surprised by their family, who held a garden party while practicing social distancing guidelines. Despite the limitations, there were celebrations all around for their extended family with those who were within two-kilometer limits sending their wishes. I don't know kilometers. And they also revealed the secret <laughs> to a long and happy marriage. Speaking to the RT News, Jack joked, she's the boss and I just follow on. So, mm-hmm. good on mm-hmm. you, dude. <laughs> and May said, don't mind him. I may be the boss indirectly, but he still has the last word. And the couple was very thankful to have their family celebrate their special day. And they plan to have more parties once the COVID-19 restrictions are over. Jack said, quote, it would have been a lovely to have them all, which is the original plan, but we do that every year. So missing one year is not a big deal. Their son, Paul, added, I think they're getting a great kick out of it. And we're delighted that we've been able to do something for them in a small way. So it has a picture and they're standing in the doorway and all their family put stuff like in front of them, like big signs and like gifts and stuff. And they're all standing at the road. So it's very cute. Maryville man recovers from COVID-19 in time for wedding anniversary. One of Charlie Cunningham's biggest concerns after testing positive for COVID-19 was that his wife, Bessie, was going to get sick from worrying about him. Okay, the next one is family and friends throw a parade for their local wedding anniversary. This one is in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Steve and Carol Schwabata are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, but because of COVID-19, they couldn't have a party. After the shutdown, they said, I thought we would have to wait another 50 years, joke Steve. (laughs) Jokes through that one. However, their friends and family came together to make their day very special. Steve and Carol had planned their 50th wedding anniversary, and this has been in the works for a whole year. And a couple weeks ago, obviously, things had to change and things had to be canceled. So Carol was super bummed about it. So a bunch of people, including us, decided that we show them how much we love them with a parade instead, says their niece, Nikki. Using the power of social media, the plans started coming together. Quote, we've been chatting back and forth, just threw it out there and said, whoever you see or talk to, just let them know that this is happening. So the anniversary parade recognized the couple's contribution to farming. There's going to be about 10 or 12 tractors coming in. <laughs> Cute. Family and friends wanted to be extra special and they actually got, uh, oh, they actually got married 50 years ago at one o'clock. So that's when the parade starts. That's really sweet. They're super fun people. Yeah. Uh, They're very fun people, very active in the community and they have lots of friends and city friends. And I think everybody that knows them thinks they're good people. So there's a picture and it's just a bunch of tractors (laughs) with signs. (laughs) Everybody waving. It's so sweet. Uh, um. Okay, the next one Alder Grove Grandpa beats heart attack and self quarantine to celebrate his 71st wedding anniversary. That's a long time. 
Aldergrove Lovebirds Leonora 91 and Vic 91 held hands as they sat in lawn chairs in their front yard on April 9th, meters apart from their adult children to prevent the spread of COVID-19. The duo was surprised with dinner from their adult children, who they had not seen in weeks because they were in self-isolation. The reunion was some of their neighbors might never have thought possible just five weeks ago. Because he was whisked away to the local hospital because he had a heart attack. <laughs> sad. But he says you can't keep a good man down. And he's been fun to live with, the wife retorted. While Vic was in the hospital, neighbors, including Holt and Vic Waterman, called Lenora every day to check up on her. This is the greatest neighborhood, she said. Blah, 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 blah. After marrying at the age of 20, when birthdays just 10 days apart, Leonor fostered nearly a dozen newborns. What? She said she collected kids and like, like people collect air miles. <laughs> 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 oh, man. So, anywho, he survived the heart attack and he recovered and they were reunited for their anniversary. So, happy news. The next one. Former Longhorn share secrets to becoming the world's oldest married couple. At 106 and 105, they are the oldest married couple in the world. That is a long time to live. <laughs> it is. I'm uh, not expecting to live that long, but holy shit. That's... Uh, it's funny, I stumbled upon that one. When I was looking at old anniversaries of different things, I, I saw that one. I'm like, damn. And they usually look good for their age. They do. So it's in Austin, Texas, so close to me. And the thing I thought was the funniest about this is that people asked them what the secret to their marriage was. And they said it was because they never had kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, boom. In your face, everybody telling me I need to have children to be happy with my life. Especially since, like, thinking of the time they grew up in, mm-hmm. I feel like it's slowly becoming more okay not to have children. Like, more and more people are choosing not to do that. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, another quote I thought was nice. They got, you know, when you get that older, just like, what's your secret? So yeah. they have a few quotes. And uh, the first one is they said, they don't have any children. And the second one is say some people say that's the reason we've been together so long is because we don't have any kids to worry about. And then John, the husband, says, quote, don't indicate to your partner that you're going to be the leader or you're going to have it your own way. You have to give and take as life goes by and be grateful for what you have and try to make tomorrow a better day than today. And be sure that you don't go to bed at night with a chip on your shoulder. Be aware of the other person's feelings. I thought that was really sweet. Mm-hmm. listen to old people but yes they look so young for being in their hundreds and it just another next one after decades long legal battle 1971 marriage is officially recognized so oh. minnesota couple michael and jack mcconnell are now thought to be the longest married same-sex couple in the united states mm-hmm. In 1971, gay couple Michael McConnell and Jack Baker applied for a marriage license in Minnesota. The clerk, not realizing one of the individual listed on the application was male, issued the license. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly nearly five decades later, after a prolonged legal battle to get their union legalized, 
Their wish was granted. The couple received a letter from the Social Security Administration on February 16th, officially validating their 71 marriage. The McConnells, Jack took Michael's last name, are now thought to be the longest married same-sex couple in the United States. And perhaps the entire world. Quote, we knew from day one we were legally married in 1971 that we were right and that we had followed the law to the letter. After first being denied marriage license in 1970, the couple figured out how or they figured out a loophole. Jack changed his first name to the gender neutral name Pat Lynn. Uh, that's how it happened. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Thinking smarter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because Minnesota's marriage statute did not explicitly state that two people of the same sex could not get married, the license was valid as far as they were concerned. But after that, it was revealed that Pat Lynn was male, the couple were called, and the county attorney instructed the clerk not to officially record it. With no proof of marriage, the McConnells explained they could not collect Social Security spousal benefits. Uh, in September of last year, after a length- lengthy battle, the district court judge ruled that the marriage was valid the whole time. In a letter they received from the Social Security Administration in February, they learned that they were entitled to spousal benefits. This is about much more. Quote, this is simply proves that the first same-sex marriage ever recorded in public files of any civil government anywhere in the world happened in Minnesota. That's really sweet. So, a little, a little more feel-good. And then I just got like a what the fuck <laughs> to end it on. <laughs> Couple smoked meth to celebrate wedding anniversary. Here we go. A couple, a couple celebrating their 12th year marriage anniversary was arrested early Monday morning in Radcliffe and charged with possession of methamphetamine with a child in the home. Okay, that's not funny. Okay, no. It's when they explore <sighs> and do something crazy. Not with the kids there, no. Yeah, they're both charged with a first offense, first degree possession, and other charges stemming from the incident at their residence. <sighs> Man, why'd you have to put a kid in this? I thought it was going to be funny. It's huh? funny. It turned out funny. Then you're like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> turning out to what you said. <laughs> According to the citation, police located methamphetamine, smoking pipes, needles, and marijuana. That was a lot. I don't feel like this is a first-time occurrence. No. No. I just thought it was interesting. It's it's our anniversary. <laughs> Let's get out the meth. Let's do this. Do they not have teeth? I don't know. <laughs> he wasn't smiling with teeth in the photo. Probably says something. Meth is a hell of a drug, people. Well, if it's their first time trying it, then they'll probably actually do have the teeth. Probably. I haven't watched that, but I have seen uh, Breaking Bad. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like all the people, this one guy, God bless him. He only has like three teeth hanging in there and he he has meth mouth. Mm -hmm. But apparently now he has teeth and he's all excited. He's like, I want Channing Tatum to play me in the movie. And I'm like, oh, bless your heart. Don't do that to Channing Tatum. I refuse. (laughs) Jenny <laughs> Tanner is an angel. Not, no, no. Hmm. no. I think it's funny that every single person on that show said they want David Spade to play the Lion King or the Lion King, Tiger King. <laughs> Wrong thing, Tiger King, because he was Joe Dirt. 
And I'm like, that's your. <laughs> I do <laughs> love standard. Joe Dirt, but like there are other good actors too that can play that. I like. I wouldn't want to pick David Spade just because he did Joe Dirt. Well, it's funny because he <laughs> got the first. Movie. He got the first interviews because he has a late night show now, and every one of them is like, "You got to play him," and he's like, "Guys, I don't know." This is almost offensive. He's like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's like Brad Pitt thing. Like, I'll just stick with my Joe Dirt. Just no. <laughs> uh, Colin Joe said something funny. I, I don't know what since I haven't seen this show, but he said one guy looks like if Tim Robbins started a cult, and he showed a picture of him, and he does. He looks like a fat Tim Robbins. <laughs> and I'm like, perfect. Who's Tim Robbins? Okay, let me let me look at this. Who's Tim Robbins? Uh, he was in Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. He was in. He's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, Bob Roberts. It's a really good fake documentary. Very political if you're in that mood. And it's a little sad because politicians do the shit he does. Oh like yeah, the Doc Antle. Yeah, that guy's wild. So he has like this tiger sanctuary but he has like six wives so he basically like grooms like 19 year old girls to be like his wife because they get to play with tigers all day it's wild it's like weird sex cult but then it's like everything else is so fucking weird that they just brush over that part I'm like it's like what do we choose yeah like that wasn't weird to people because they had somebody that got out and she was talking about they worked like, you know, 14 hours a day and they only got paid like 100 bucks a week and they would get more stuff if they would sleep with them. It was weird. It's a wild ride. Although I feel like the karma, like, you know, have you ever had those moments where you're like, I know karma is real? Because yes. this dude was a terrible human being, and all he wanted was to be famous, and now he's in prison, and he's famous, and he'll never know because he can't watch TV. I hope he can't. I hope he never finds out. Yeah. I feel like that's the sweet relief. Well, like, no, if he gets letters, people can write to him. Maybe. I know he's still married to one of those kids, which is a whole nother thing, but... He's like, yeah, he's just aching to have a interview. But I'm like, they moved him to Texas. So I'm hoping Texas will be like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) No interviews for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he sucks. I don't know. I had more sympathy for the animals than I did any of those people. Like, Oh, yeah. And that's one reason why I don't want to watch it is just because I don't want to see tigers that way. Mm -hmm. It makes me sad. Like, I don't, I'll admit, I don't do zoos either. Zoos are awesome because they're the only way probably a lot of people will see things Mm -hmm. actually live versus TV or picture. But zoos are so sad to me. And someone made a good comparison of like how lonely they feel because they're quarantined. I'm like, how do you think an animal has felt being quarantined in a zoo all its life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a hard time going to some of the smaller like i would never go to a roadside zoo which is what this documentary is based on but mm-hmm. like I mean, I know, it's the worst of the worst like i know like some zoos are the ones that like breed endangered species and that's like the only reason they're alive like i, I understand them. how it helps but i wish it was more of an enclosure yeah. or mm-hmm. a i don't remember what the other word like resort i don't know some kind of 
reservoir, whatever, for them versus like, here's a cage and we'll bring them so that's the only way to stay alive. Like, no, we should actually make a space, if yeah. anything. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. Well, if you do watch it, there anybody that worked at this zoo, they call it a zoo. It's not a zoo. It's like a roadside attraction. But anybody that worked there, like, loved those animals. And I think that's the saddest part is that all the people that they interview, like Saf and the guy that looks like the dude with long blonde hair, I can't remember his name. Anyway, all those people like love the animals, and you can tell how much they love the animals, and it's like. Joe Exotic's the one dick out there, like, being mean to him and stuff. There's only one scene that I was like, I couldn't deal with it. It's a, it's a experience. But, like, psychologically, I'm like, what is wrong with these people? No. <laughs> like, I understand the people that are working there because they legitimately love the animals and they wanted to take care of them. But Joe is like, I don't know. At the very beginning, it showed him being like, animals belong in the wild. And then he turns into, like, breeding and ripping babies from their mother. Like, it's really sad, but. Just can't start watching it. I know. I watched it twice. What? I watched it with Zeke, too. And I was like, man, this oh. sucks. It's so bad. And I don't know why I keep watching it. <sighs> Yeah, and then the reunion special had the dude from The Soup. What's his name? Oh, fuck. From Community, and he hosted The Soup. Oh, I can't remember that guy. And I was like, why are you in this? Money. We're happy. Yeah. Good story, Kena. I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good story. that Because you've been talking, you talked about the, the gay marriage. So we, we have a common friend in, uh, from Layman. His name is Richard. Yeah. Um, and when marriage was legalized, him and his husband got married. Um, I wasn't, we weren't close enough friends to, you know, to be invited. So it's not like that or anything. But I knew he got married, though. And him and his partner had been together for so long. I probably would have referred to him as a husband anyways. But. Anyway, so they got married, and about a week or so later, I see them. I went to Conway with my family to a uh, Rick Springfield concert, and he, him and Jimmy got seats next to us. And uh, they they walked up. I'm like, oh, hey, hey, Richard. And like, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, good, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, this is, this is my mom and my aunt, blah, blah, blah. This is... This is Richard's husband, Jimmy. And apparently, I found out later that I was the first person to introduce them as husbands. Yeah. And, and he was like, he's like, he comes up to me, like, this was a Friday. So, like, Monday, he's like, okay, I've been looking for you. I just want to tell you. And he's like, you're so sweet. You probably didn't even realize. <laughs> I had no, it just, no comprehension. It just came out. He's like, but you were the first person to call us husbands. Um, this was my husband. And it just moved me. And he was just so, like, he was about to tear up there again thinking about it. I'm like, oh, wow. I, I'm so glad I can give you this moment because they yeah. have been together for, I don't know how long, like 10? Yeah, 20, it's been a long time. And then they finally could have a piece of paper to confirm this. And 
Um, and to, to give him that moment, it just felt really good. And the fact that he told me that, it's, I'm like, oh, like, oh, I did a good thing without knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember because he was telling everybody in the break room and he was like tearing up talking about it. And I was like, oh, oh really? Oh, I didn't know about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he got married around the same time I did. He was so mm-hmm. excited and just, oh, it was so, it was so sweet. They are the, some of the best humans. And it was just, if I've never seen my radiate joy like I did with them too. They're just so happy that they finally got to get married. I'm just like, oh. uh, I love, I like his husband. I've seen him, I've only talked to him a handful of times. And every time we do, it's always about artwork. And so I always really enjoy his conversations about his paintings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only I, saw him at like work stuff, but he's so sweet. And um, well, when I worked at Sanders Library, they happened to come in to check out a book and. Richard was like, hey, and next thing I know, I started talking to them about all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's funny, and then my other, these were my mom's friends, uh, Toast and Merkel, this amazing lesbian couple. They've been together for over 30 years, wow. and every decade they have a wedding. So, like, they finally had an official wedding this past time. And it's funny, they call it the Holy Wad Shoot. That's their. Their New Year's Eve party. That's when they, the first wedding was on New Year's Eve. And so they call it the Holy Wad Shoot. <laughs> just cracks me up. But they, they make me happy too. Like Merkel has crazy pink hair. She's a really excellent third grade teacher and mm-hmm. awesome. She's another art teacher and now was, and was teacher of the year and now does all these trainings and stuff. So yeah. people to actually have that official too is really excellent. It's so amazing. It just, it it hurts my heart that it took so long for it to be legal. And it just, but I remember when it became legal in Arkansas, like all my friends are getting married and they're just so happy. And I'm just like, heart. (laughs) I'm like, it just sucks. Cause I was able to just walk in there and get married last minute. And I'm like, all these people just had to wait 30, you know, how many years to get married. I'm like, this just sucks. Hopefully it gets to stay that way. Yes. <sighs> what were we going to say? Do you remember? Damn it. it. I think if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brain shot. It's gone. Yeah, mine too. I don't know what's happened. But we we recorded for three hours now. Probably what it is. <laughs> Delirium. Delirium. I'm just glad it's not midnight. Oh, God, me too. And I'm hungry. <laughs> Me too. I gotta pee again. Okay. So with that note, guys, <laughs> this is like turned into the shit show at the end here. <laughs> By the way, sorry I, about it. I just saw my sorry, not sorry. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the little awe moments of all the anniversaries and about some of our good friends like Toaster Merkel and Richard and Jimmy. We really appreciate good friends like that and glad y'all get to have that kind of connection legally, finally, well-deserved. Yes. And, but I do love the memes where like people are like, damn, like their only reason that they weren't getting married or hadn't proposed yet was because it was illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Those memes are fucking hilarious. I'm sorry. (laughs) Damn it. The excuse doesn't work anymore. Oh, so good. But yeah, we're so 
glad you guys joined us again for anniversaries part two Mm-hmm. And uh, like always, if you want to watch us live and watch the shit shows, it's going. Because <laughs> like, no joke, I cut like an hour to like two hours out of these episodes. So there's a We're lot. We're doing good to tonight. Un- We're doing yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. So if you want to watch us in all our bloober filled rant glory. I was going to say glory. Good job. I like yeah. that. <laughs> And all the extra episodes, we have YouTubes. I am I, uh, doing an art episode, and then Natalie's doing art stuff that we're putting on YouTube. So lots of cool stuff. So we do it just for Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash historicalafpod. And, of course, all of our amazing social media, which is historicalafpod. Um, so it, even if you're not a Patreon member, which I we recommend, of course. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> just because <laughs> like just it's like a drinking it's like a drinking game on crack without the alcohol that's <laughs> what it is basically and but we do still put out a lot of excellent content on our facebook instagram and twitter mm-hmm. and it always comment or send us a message because we love knowing what y'all like and what you think and yeah. just people and of course again all of our amazing things we post and people are like, you wrote back. And I'm like, of course I do. What else do I got to do? <laughs> like, I answer everybody. <laughs> not to get that. <laughs> if I don't answer you, it's because I'm asleep. <laughs> oh. And of course, we always need your stories at our Gmail, which is historicalafpod. It's a pod. Historicalafpod at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yay! Yay! Our- really a pod just about. So I'm like, is this the one thing that's not? <laughs> no, it is. And then we still have our merch that shop dot spread shirt at historical AF pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost forgot too. You know, you think after a year, but nah, that's the alcohol. Nah, <laughs> the alcohol and the fact that we always record at night at the end of the day. It's been long days. We're delirious. You know, it's funny, at work, we had an in-service today uh, through, you know, Zoom or whatever. I don't know why Zoom's all of a sudden so popular. It's everywhere. I don't get that. Yeah. But, like, why was that one picked? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Uh, but one of the icebreakers that uh, my, the lady likes to do, the host, is always do a, a question. And this was, if you had a memoir published of your quarantine what would the title be and mine was stuck at home but still too much to do (laughs) so it's like i have all the hours in the world but yet i still don't have enough hours in the day yeah it's there's this it multiplies you you check off two things off your list like 10 more ad it's never ending and then it's time to go to bed and i went well let's try again tomorrow Yeah, we're just all doing the best we can with what we got. What's that Olaf thing? He's like, this is what I call controlling. Oh, wait. What is oh, that yeah. <laughs> uh, when everything's out of control, but this is something you can control as well. Yeah. What, I can't remember how he phrases it. <laughs> I Google it. I'm like, ah, Olaf, I get you. Let's <laughs> uh, see what you want to do here. Control. Oh, control.com. Nope, I don't want to control.com. That would probably take me somewhere bad. We're calling this controlling what we can when things feel out of control. Yes, Olaf. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody's. There's somebody outside my house. Somebody delivering a package this late? Go home. Why are you working? <laughs> oh, you poor essential person. Why are you working so late? That's just sad. I don't know. Maybe there's an evening shift. I guess. Oh, six damn car parts. <laughs> Make it be yeah. Blame him. I will. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Anyway, start start leaving gifts outside for people. I did it for the pizza guy. I was like, here's some tokens of our appreciation. <laughs> start doing it for all the delivery people. We appreciate you being essential. Sorry. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, guys. We do appreciate y'all, and we hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you'll still be listening for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, bye.